and welcome to Avi's Conversational Corner, a podcast on history, culture, and politics in a broad perspective. I am your host, Avi Wolf. You can find this and other episodes like it on Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher, and you can help support the podcast through Patreon. This episode's topic, Robert Taft, Image and Reality. He was known as Mr. Republican the son of a president and a senator so energetic and publicly prominent that he practically embodied his party, struggling to recover from the fallout of the Great Depression before the American people. But who was Robert Taft? How did his views on government form? Was he simply the reactionary people thought him to be? An old wasp? Something else? And what can we learn from him and his legacy about the history of the Republican Party? With me to discuss some of these questions and others is Professor James T. Patterson, official Taft biographer and author of the aptly named Mr. Republican. Jim, welcome. Good morning, everybody. So why don't we start with uh, the pre-political, if such a thing existed, Robert Taft. How did he be? How did he come to form his views on government and legislation before he became nationally famous? Could you repeat that, please? Um, how did Robert Taft uh, form his views on the proper role of government and society before he became nationally prominent? Well, he was, of course, the son of um, President uh, William Howard Taft, and um, also then, of course, after after William Howard Taft um, lost in the the three-way election of 1912. Later on, he was named uh, Chief Justice of the United States, so uh, of the Supreme Court. So he was, from a very young age, uh, very much in a political family. His younger brother, named Charles Taft, also had an active career in uh, in Ohio and had, among other things, uh, I think, served as governor at one point. So he was very much uh, involved in politics from a very young age. So, with his involvement in politics, you mentioned that he was particularly um, attracted to the views of his father and that of Herbert Hoover, who were both, I guess you might call them, uh, moderate, progressive uh, people who thought that the government should help, but there are certain things in which they shouldn't intervene. Do you think that that's a fair assessment? Well, Taft was, uh, as far as I know, uh, a friend of Hoover's, there was not an enemy. Um, and Hoover, of course, um, had a very unfortunate time as uh, president because uh, uh, he became president just um, a year or so before the great crash of 1929, and his entire one term as president was kind of miserable for him. Taft would see him from time to time. He was then still in Cincinnati. Um, and so they, they were reason, reasonably friendly. And I would call um, Hoover, I would not call him a progressive. He was on some issues, but he was well to the right of Roosevelt and really believed that, um, as did Taft, at the New Deal of Franklin Roosevelt, who of course became president in 1932 and was president for 12 and a half years, uh, was using the government for all kinds of things that it had no business doing under the Constitution. So he rejected a good deal of the New Deal, as did Hoover. And, um, of course, they 
they failed because Roosevelt was such a uh, charming and successful politician. But uh, they, they got along okay. Okay. Uh, you mentioned uh, the the antipathy that they had for Roosevelt. In your biography, you describe Taft's experience before he became a senator in the U.S. Congress uh, as a legislator in Ohio. And there he comes off as a much more pragmatic, often quite friendly legislator, even when it comes to working with Democrats. Why was it that he he was much more... What 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 brought him to have such I guess hostility towards no, FDR when he could when he felt he could work with with people on the other side of the aisle in Ohio? Well, it's hard to say. I just think it was a pretty much a partisan thing during the twenties when when Taft was still in Cincinnati and um, engaged, as you say, in in state politics. Um, the president was Calvin Coolidge, and he was very right-wing in his in his politics. And uh, so Taft was just a, from the beginning a a very very conservative uh, um, president in the sense of not wanting to use the government for things he didn't think the Constitution warranted. So. Uh, I don't see a huge difference between the Taft of the 20s and the Taft of the 30s, uh, but I must admit that I did not do serious research uh, on, you know, day-to-day doings of the uh, state legislature and governors of Ohio in the 1920s, because most of that time he was still a lawyer in a prestigious law firm at Cincinnati, and that's where he spent most of his time and made his, made his income. Okay. I'm curious if we're on the subject. Um, did Taft ever express, I mean, we already talked about how he was uh, friends with Hoover, but he, did he ever express an opinion on the presidencies of Harding and Coolidge, or did he sort of ignore them? Did he express uh, doubts about Coolidge? Is that your question? Yeah. Not that I know. Um, as you know, if you read my biography, and I know you have, thank you. Um, he has an enormous collection of, of, of his papers, letters, and, and and so forth in the Library of Congress. And um, um, I don't didn't find any any place any place where he would um, be other than a partisan Republican and um, oppose the New Deal from the start. And sometimes in collaboration with Hoover and some of the um, um, Republicans in Congress, but he didn't. He did not become a senator until 1939, and by that time, the Roosevelt administration was turning its interest much more towards foreign policy, and the New Deal was pretty well over. This is indeed true, and he opposed everything. The only things in the New Deal that he uh, accepted, and it, it was he never really explained why were government aid for housing. Uh, and to some extent for education. But for many other things, like work relief and uh, that sort of thing, he thought they were very wasteful and uh, driving the, the government into, into um, totally unbalanced budgets, which were not, um, not safe. I'd actually like to ask you about that, because um, 
Taft struck me as a guy, uh, and you describe him very well in your biography, as a guy who almost a one-man think tank. He would spend days, weeks, months poring over a subject to absolutely master it so he could uh, help his friends and embarrass his enemies. Um, it, it's, it's a little funny to me that you say that he never really explained why he supported uh, extra support for education and housing. I would think Taft would be the opposite, that he would always bring a very clear rationale to everything he did. Nobody could ever understand that. I can't either. And there must, must have been something in his past or something. I can't understand the education part. He, of course, went to a place called Taft School. Have you ever heard of it? Uh, no, but I did hear from, about it from your biography. Well, it's a very prestigious prep school in Connecticut. And um, so he was Taft all the way through. Um, and uh, that's all I can say. Okay. Um, I would like to ask, though, Taft has a reputation. Uh, we'll get to foreign policy soon, but he also has a reputation uh, of being an absolute arch conservative and against any sort of government support. But as you note in the biography, he was not on everything. There were some things which he absolutely opposed point blank, but on things like uh, temporary, temporary emergency relief, uh, what he called creating a floor for people to not have to fall into complete destitution. That stuff he actually supported pretty consistently. So how did he end up with this reputation of being, I don't know, the Ebenezer Scrooge of the New Deal? So your question is exactly what? Why was he opposed to these? No, my question is this. Why did he have this reputation of being a complete reactionary when he clearly supported some degree of support for people during the Great Depression, just not the what he thought the extravagance of the New Deal was? Well, because he was most of the time opposed to everything else, and he was very strident about it and very knowledgeable. He's not a person you could argue with very well because he did his homework. And he was uh, unre he was unre unrelenting and um, took the lead. Um, the Republicans in, in Congress in the 30s were a pathetic bunch. Do you know that after the 1936 election, which Roosevelt swept, um, there were only 16 of the then um, 96 senators who were Republicans? Imagine that in today's uh, politics. 16 as opposed to um, uh, 80 um, Democrats. And so Republicans were, were pathetic, and I think the, the worse off they are, the more they felt um, um, useless and angry and um, strident in their, in, their, in their talking. And Taft and others... Um, came close to um, regarding Roosevelt sometimes as a socialist, and which he certainly was not. So that's all I can say. He was, he was very partisan and not a likable person, particularly from Democratic point of view. You asked um, in, in one of your letters to me, um, how come um, Taft had a reputation as being such a great senator. And as you know, there's a most most tourists don't know this, but right near the Capitol grounds is a tall statue of Taft. Did you know that? Yes, I did. 
Yeah, well, most people don't know that. They go to Washington, they don't see that. But yes, he, he got um, a use of government land for a, for a statue. So he was very much in, in the lead. Um, there were no other Republicans who had anything like his stature. The only one was a guy named Arthur Vandenberg of Michigan. And his main concerns were foreign policy. Taft, you say that Taft closed himself off to certain ideas, but on the other hand, he read newspapers with other ideas. How do those two things work together? Which two things? His uh, support of um, housing, you mean? Not just supporting of housing. Uh, he, re he would read the liberal New York Times and get angry at all their arguments, so clearly he was exposed to them. Uh, he, I'm sorry, all I can say is that he was... Uh, very conservative and believed very strongly in small government, and the New Deal was too much for him. Okay. And also he felt an obligation as um, one of the few um, Republicans in Congress to hold up the Republican end of things and oppose things that he could oppose. And that's all I can say, but he, he was, um, it, was, it was totally believed in. He wasn't just raising partisan points to score points. He strongly believed in a small government. Speaking of, str speaking of strongly believing in small government, uh, Taft was famous, or perhaps infamous, for being an arch, almost isolationist uh, before, the, before America entered World War II, and being kind of really inconsistent in his uh, views after World War II. Um, and yet he kept saying that he didn't want to get into foreign policy. He didn't like it. He didn't want to study it. And yet it consumed all his time. Why didn't he nevertheless force himself to study the issues? That's a good question. Um, the Republican Party then and is now, I think, um, divided to some extent, but even more so then along regional lines. And the only really what you call internationalist Republicans in the early 20th century up until World War II were what you would call um, East Coast um, Republicans. And that was often said, that phrase, East Coast Republicans. Other Republicans refer to them with a sneer and in derision because they thought that... Um, um, the United States had no business getting involved in those issues. Look what happened in World War I, for instance. So uh, it's strange because Hoover, for instance, was very much an internationalist and worked uh, with, after World War I on international food issues and so forth and so on. And But uh, Taft did not do that. He just was literally an isolationist. The United States should stay apart from Europe, and he believed that right through his life. So that, for instance, later on, he opposed NATO and things like that. Okay. Um, but as you yourself note uh, in the book, his alternative to NATO and binding alliances uh, was appeals to international law, which countries had clearly shown they weren't interested in both in the First World War and in the Second World War. Did he not notice that his solution doesn't work either? Um, sorry, could you rephrase that again? I'm um, hearing it as good as I thought yeah. it was. Okay. Um, 
Taft, uh, the alternative he presented to binding alliances was international law or a world court. But yes. both in the sec- both in the first and the second world wars, uh, it was very clear that countries weren't interested in something like that. They completely ignored it. Did he not see that his own solution just wouldn't work? Um, if he did, he didn't admit it. But you're right. He is um, an isolationist through and through, even on the question of law. And again, Uber was very much involved in that, too. I mean, he was for it, and, and Taft was not. Okay. Speaking of internationalists, um, I wonder if you might comment on Taft's relationship with Thomas Dewey, the man who actually uh, once beat him and generally uh, and denied him the nomination in 1952. Um, did, did they really deeply dislike each other? Did they have any degree of respect for each other on some things at least? Well, Dewey was um, unquestionably the enemy. I mean, uh, he, he was to the Middle Western Republicans, which is where the our party was strongest. He was the ultra villain. And if, if you know Dewey, Dewey was a cold fish and um, very much stuck on himself. And he surrounded himself with a lot of other inter- internationalist Republicans. They ran their own party, their own presidential campaigns. As you know, he was. Um, candidate uh, in, in 1944 and again in 1948 and got beaten twice and, and um, I don't think Taft uh, would, would, would have wanted him to win over Roosevelt and over Truman but um, he didn't like him at all and certainly the feeling was mutual no, no, no connection at all the party was really badly divided Okay. As it is today, I think. Yes, indeed, in other ways. Um, so, as you aptly describe in your book, uh, Taft tried to run for president three times. He failed each time. One of the core arguments was that Taft couldn't win the election. And it doesn't seem to me like Taft ever really tried to make a good case that he could win because he never tried to reach out or compromise even with the liberal wings of his own party. Why didn't he? Why did he do that? Why did he? I don't think he... Yeah? He just was not um, that good a uh, candidate. He was a sort of a fist-pounding speaker, and not really... He wasn't what you'd call... Uh, inspirational, and just he just believed very, very strongly in what he believed in, and was not open to new ideas for the most part. And he, he just wouldn't change. Um, that's all I can say. Now, when the when Dewey got, um, I mean, when Eisenhower ran in 1952, this was a terrible blow to Taft. He thought it was his turn now to be a presidential candidate. Dewey had tried twice and lost, and um, now it was his turn. And, uh, of course, he did lose to Ike, and it was assumed that um, there would be no collaboration between the two of them, but 
for the first time, Taft really did uh, make an effort, and they had a famous meeting called the um, conference, the uh, conversation at Morningside Heights, which is where Columbia University is in New York City. At that time, Eisenhower was the president of Columbia University. And so when the Congress met for the first time after the election, and uh, I, I don't remember whether they had a um, short session in December or not, but when they, when they met in January for the new session, um, for the first time, Taft turned around and worked very hard for Roosevelt's, I mean, for, for Eisenhower's um, government. And so it was a terrible surprise when all of a sudden he died. He was a pretty young man, and he died in 1953, uh, within the first six months of, or seven months of, um, of Eisenhower's presidency. And um, so we never had a chance to be in the majority party and, and lead it in collaboration with, with, with Eisenhower, with whom he had established a reasonable working relationship. It seems to me that Taft was better at working one-on-one -on -one with people than appealing to masses of people, because he was so effective as a senator. Is that uh, a reasonable assessment? His big issue, as you know, was labor, and the result was the Taft Hartley Act of 1947, and um, this was hated by the by organized labor, but it went into effect. It was just... Um, um, made unionization more difficult, and um, in that in that sense, tried to strike a blow at labor. Um, but otherwise, he didn't initiate any new new proposals. And Eisenhower didn't do much either. He was not a an activist president, and did not believe in Eisenhower did not believe in in big government. He was himself a conservative. So there, were, there was a good chance they could work together pretty well. Taft never wanted the actual uh, office of majority or minority leader of his party. He never held, held those positions, but he was, in fact, the person in the party who had all the power and the influence and to whom people would turn. So it was a big blow to the Republican Party when Eisenhower died, I mean, when Taft died. I forget he was replaced by somebody from California. I can't remember the name now. William Nolan. Um, yes, thank you. Okay. Um, it was indeed a very sad uh, that just when he could have had his greatest influence, he passed away. How would you characterize in general the legacy of Robert Taft as a senator, as an American, and as a Republican? Well, I would say he was very smart, worked hard, honest as his day is long. Um, he apparently could be quite charming and um, relaxed in family situations. He had four sons and a politically active wife. Um, and he did provide at least a little bit of a voice against um, the New Deal, but was totally uh, swamped by the huge Democratic majorities. 
So I would say his um, influence in, in American history was slight. Aside from the Taft-Hartley Act, um, there's not much you can point to that um, would have Taft's name stamped on it. And, uh, of course, then one of his sons became a senator, and the uh, state is still full of Taft's holding public office. So it's an honorable family and believes in public service, but um, they've not really been in a position to um, make things happen. Fair enough. Professor Patterson, you have given us a wonderful introduction to an often forgotten Republican leader. Thank you very much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for asking me, and I'm sorry I couldn't hear some of the things. That's fine.